Praise God. The name of the message this morning is My Little Children, and it's from 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John is now an old man, an old person, and I can relate to that, but he was older than that. 1 John chapter 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for just guiding us and directing us that every word, Lord, that we hear today will come from your heart straight to ours, Father, that we may be excited about your word, Father, that we may honor and glorify you by uh, opening up our hearts to you, opening up our minds and our spirits to receive all that you have stored up for us today. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. By the way, keep praying for Pastor Charlie that uh, he will receive the... uh, I think he's sorry that he took the sabbatical because he's come by or called every day (laughs) since he's been gone. So I think he's missing us, okay? Uh, But keep praying for him that he'll just get the rest that he's hoping to get in this uh, month of of rest that he's taking off for the summer. So uh, it's only for June. He'll be back in July. And pray for us, by the way, that are staying behind because we're going to need your prayers and we appreciate them. The author of this statement is purported to be John, the beloved disciple, as he called himself. To be sure, John had a rocky start as a disciple of Jesus, and we find reference to several passages where he is a participant in some foot-and-mouth declarations. But before we judge him too harshly, we need to look back into our own past to see in our own faults that uh, we can cut John some slack. There are faults in our lives, right? No, not, not in this congregation. Okay. There are faults in some of us, and once we can look at those, then we can look at John and say, okay, well, he's no different. He was a man as well, and he was serving Jesus as we are trying to serve Jesus It wasn't always as bad as it was when he began, as the way that he ended up, that he finished. Many historians believe that John was the youngest of the disciples. Others are not so sure that he was, and others just don't agree. I say, who cares? It's not how old or young he was. It's who he became through Jesus Christ. It's what Christ did in his life that's important, and that's on what we want to concentrate our talk today. We want to discuss, rather, how things worked out for John and have worked out for so many others throughout the ages that come to serve Jesus Christ. How promising could he have seemed as a disciple when he, among, uh, along with his brother, James, is introduced as the sons of Zebedee, which translated means sons of thunder. 
Apparently, this was a reference to the fact that though they, the family, were generally peaceful and calm, they could really blow up when aggravated. They could really get angry and just thunder around, which is why they were called the sons of thunder. That was the translation. Of course, uh, that is not a quality to which we can relate, uh, blowing up, right? Getting angry. It's a wonderful congregation that I'm addressing here today because none of these things that I'm talking about that are negative apply to us. Isn't that great? Praise God for that. But I mention it now because I hope to show how the Apostle John is someone that set an example for us to follow as believers in Jesus Christ. Many who come to believe Christ as our Savior begin with vigor, enthusiasm, and an insatiable hunger for all things of God. But as uh, I heard J. Vernon McGee one day on his program uh, in the morning, an old-time Texas preacher, after years of hearing the Word of God, some people will feel that they don't need to hear the same theme over and over. They don't need to be hearing God is love. Jesus died for us. Jesus went to the cross for our sins to wash them away. They don't need to be hearing all of this because they already heard it. They heard it once. That's enough, right? We have steel traps as minds, and so nothing escapes us. So once we hear something, that's it. It is indelibly etched in our minds, and it'll never be forgotten. That's the premise. I'm too informed about the Lord to hear a simple little message. It's as if they were saying, I only want to hear an in-depth message or sermon that will really move me, that will really excite me, or I get bored. Really? We can get bored hearing the Word of God. We can get bored hearing how much God loves us, how much Jesus gave up for us when he didn't have to, how much Jesus sacrificed for us to be cleansed of sin and iniquity. We get bored hearing that. It's got to be something that has the depth of, say, a Ravi Zacharias or John MacArthur or David Jeremiah. Only those speakers are worthy of hearing over and over again. The rest of us are, can't bring in enough into a, our hearts into our lives to be significant. We can only learn from the very learned. That's the premise that some bring. Might I remind anyone that might have such an opinion of themselves that John the Baptist had primarily one message and that message was repent. Repent. That's what he went out there with. Repent. And thousands of people from Judea and Jerusalem came out to hear him preach that main message over and over. Many received the Lord and were baptized, but they were not looking for entertainment along the way. 
This was a man that was dressed in funny clothes. This is a guy that ate honey and locusts. I mean, would you invite him to your party? Dressed in camel's cloth? Would you want him walking along with you if you go down to the mall? Would John the Baptist be someone that would be popular today? Well, he was in that day. And even though he was way out in the desert, thousands of people came from all over the area to hear this man utter his message, repent. That's because the word of God was getting to their hearts. That's because they were dedicated to hearing what he had to say. Does that mean they weren't hearing the real word of God at the temple or from their leaders? And this one guy brought a simple message of repentance and they, it created a hunger in their hearts to receive what he had to share with them. They never got tired of it. Many received the Lord and were baptized, but they were not looking for entertainment in order to be seduced into coming forward and accepting the Lord. They were not looking for the latest, all of the equipment that some of the churches have, showing all kinds of... I, I went to a church where, out in Phoenix, where they have the countdown clock, and the music is blaring. I mean, you walk in there, whoa! It's the, the opposite of what we have here. <laughs> you could hear that music, and it was blasting out. But there was a clock that was counting backwards to the very second when the service started. And I tell you what, they were organized. When that clock marked zero seconds left, everybody was on stage. The pastor came out, the singing started, and it went on. It was amazing. But... As my daughter also witnessed at another church there in Phoenix, not one person that walked into that place had a Bible with them. Not one. And the pastor, during the service, didn't even open his Bible during the message. Now, we have to trust that what he's saying, right? I mean... I'm not just speaking off the cuff. I've got it all written down here. Not only that, I'm backing it up with this. Amen? Amen. This is not from memory. I mean, I try to memorize my address every day, and, you know, I have trouble with that. But this is not from memory. This is all because I had to study this, because I had to wait for the Lord to inspire me to write this. This is not what I and my so-called intelligence would have come up with. This is what God wants us to hear and receive today so that we can be blessed by his word, not mine. Amen? So, we're not looking for entertainment. We're not looking for flashy, flashy stuff. We're not looking for a tabernacle choir. We're not looking for anything but the word of God. That's why we're here. That's why you're here today, because you know that there's not going to be a huge band coming out to just blast you with excitement. The excitement is going to come when you hear that God loves us all, that Jesus went to the cross for us, 
That's what's going to excite us, that he made the sacrifice without having to do it, but because he loved us. That's what's going to excite us, that we can be cleansed of sin and iniquity. That's what should excite us, that God's love has no bounds. That's what should excite us, that he loves us unconditionally and has prepared a place for us. If you remember John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry about things. I'm going back to my father's house and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Obviously, I paraphrased and I looked at a couple of things, but that's the basic message is there's a place for you in heaven, but... We have to love him too. We have to believe in him. We have to be cleansed of sin. We have to be cleansed of iniquity in order to show God that we do love him. We have to believe everything he says to us. And then that place becomes a viable future location for us. And you can start preparing the address, heaven. Forward all mail to heaven. Once we're gone from here, that we may be where? In heaven. And we don't care about the address because most of what I get is from Geico or from Coles or from, you know, all of those other entities that have nothing to do with God. So I'm not going to miss out on anything. Might I also remind us that today's society we repeat over and over admonitions to children, and not just to children, okay, but to children primarily, about looking both ways before crossing the street, don't we? We repeat it over and over. We don't just tell them once. We tell it over and over because we don't want them to forget. We want them to know, be careful, be careful. Look to the right, look to the left, and if you don't see anything coming, okay, cross and cross quickly so that you can get across. We do that, and we repeat over and over. And if they mind, well, so be it, but you're going to be safe if I have anything to do with it. Don't we warn each other about practicing safety methods that prevent fires or explosions or auto accidents or other injurious events that cause personal injuries and even deaths as well as material losses? Don't we warn each other? Isn't it all over television and everywhere else that texting and driving doesn't work? That they don't go together? Don't we just repeat that over and over? Or have we only seen it once and then it was off the air? No. It's over and over. Why, if we already know how to prevent these types of losses, do we still need to be reminded to avoid them? One reason is because people continue to make the same dumb mistakes over and over again. People still drive in, in an unsafe manner, and I'm including myself sometimes, not very often, obviously, but I still at times will speed faster than the allowed limit, maybe one or two miles, you know, I don't, I don't go very fast. 
although my wife thinks I do, people are still careless with fires, aren't they? We see fires every day. What caused it? Most of them could have been prevented. Somebody didn't listen to the admonition. Someone didn't listen to Smokey the Bear. I was mentioning to my wife the other day when I was talking about the message, and I said, you know, Smokey the Bear uh, used to be on there all the time, everywhere. Only you can prevent forest fires. And then I said, how about McGruff? McGruff. And she said, McGruff is not real. And I said, it's not about McGruff himself. It's the message. (laughs) It's the message that he's saying, be careful about crime. Don't leave the doors open for crime. Be, Be aware of where you are and all of these things. I said, it's just the message that we're to listen to. They use McGruff to attract our attention and then our ears are supposed to take over and listen to what is being told to us. Smokey the bear, the same. I know he's not real. He's a bear. But anyway, many allow themselves to be distracted, thus placing themselves in dangerous situations that could have been prevented. Is the word of God not important enough or significant enough that we should be thankful for those who bring us even a small encouragement from the Lord that might keep us from falling into a sinful situation that could cause eternal death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Shouldn't we be thankful that someone has the heart, has the love of God to want to keep warning us over and over every day that they can, whenever we stand still long enough to hear the message that God loves us, but that we need to be aware that there's also sin in the area. Look at Mark 13, verses 20 through 22. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved but for the who? The elect's sake, whom he chose. That's important, okay? Don't forget that phrase because we're coming back to that. The elect's sake, whom he chose. In other words, he chose the elect. He shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. What's Jesus telling them there? What is he warning them there? He's saying there are going to be false Christs. False prophets are going to come into the area. When was he saying this? When he was walking on the earth? How long ago? Over 2,000 years ago, he told us that. Soon after he was gone, 
There were already people coming in with false doctrines, with their own interpretations, with their own ideas, with new sects, with new religions, with new ways of interpreting God's word. Who can be arrogant enough to think that we can add or take away from what God has given us? Who has that audacity to do that? Who would be that audacious? I like that word, audacity. I saw it on a bubblegum wrapper one day. I have told you these things beforehand, he says. I'm warning you. I'm giving you the warning now. And you're going to hear it later, is what it's inferring. I'm telling you ahead of time what's going to be coming. And you're going to hear this again. Listen to it. In other words, this is a repetition. It's something that I tell you now, and it'll come back to you. Those who seek to hear the word of the Lord in a different vein than that presented in the Bible would do well to remember the word that the prophet Malachi was given by God to be given to Israel, the whole nation. God told him, tell them this. And the word is in Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, wonderful? Our God is not going to change his mind. The commandments that he gave us that we have from the beginning, they are going to be the same till the end. They're not going to be bent or tweaked or twisted or covered over. They are the same. And we can take that to the bank, right? Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons, sons of Jacob. You're not going to be done away with, guys, if you believe this and if you follow my commandments, if you listen to my word. If God does not change, why would anyone think that his word is any different? Why would they think that? Well, God is steadfast. He doesn't change. But his word, eh, you know, we could color it, we could change it. If we don't like a particular verse, if we don't like a particular message, part, a part of the message, change it. You know, dilute it a little. Don't make it so harsh, so severe that people will have difficulty following it. Oh, well, if it is difficult, the reward is tremendous. The reward is beyond what we can find here on earth. It will never be duplicated on this earth, in this life. It's only up there with him. And so if we want to get up there, we have to do something here to prepare for that. Now, let's look at Proverbs 30. Verse 6, and it tells us, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. As I said earlier, we need to back up what we say from up here with the word of God so that you know we're not telling you lies, that we are not telling you fables, that these are not fairy tales. 
This is from the Word of God. And you can check it out because it's in Proverbs. It's in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 6. It's not some obscure piece of paper that somebody found and can't be verified. It's right there in the Bible. And who doesn't have a Bible this morning? Nobody. Well, if you didn't bring yours, there's one under your chairs there someplace. So no one should be without a Bible, right? And we can all check on it and check on anyone that speaks from this pulpit to give you the Word of God. You can know that it's the truth if it's in here. Amen? Amen. All right. So we, all, we are also admonished in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them they are, after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did this nation or these nations serve their gods? How do they do how did they do that? That's that seems interesting. I'd like to find out more about why were they doing that? How is it that they that they had established this figure up there and, and what did this do for them? How did they enjoy that particular religion? You start getting curious about certain things. We can't. You see, we can't. That's what God was telling them. Don't get curious about them. Don't get ensnared by getting curious or getting interested in finding out more, let your education about that, that religion end right now. Cut it out. Cut it off. Don't let it come into your life. I also will do likewise, it says. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Think about this. Think about your children. Think about your grandchildren. As a grandfather, I tell you what, it almost hurts me more. I'm sorry, Tom. It almost hurts me more. That's my son over here. It almost hurts me more that if my grandchild was going to be hurt, I'm going to kick somebody. I'm going to throw something. I'm going to fire a missile. I'm going to do something to stop it. But they were burning, offering children to these gods. That was part of their religion. What was God asking of them? Their love, their understanding, their acceptance of who he was. He was giving them. They weren't giving him only their hearts, only their obedience. That's what they were giving back. But these religions, they were offering their children as offerings to these gods, who, by the way, I don't know if this shows 
the degree of intelligence that they had, but they built that God. They formed that God out of stone, out of brick, out of mortar, out of wood, out of whatever. They formed their God. How strong can that be? How effective could that God be for them when they built it? And they made up the religion. You see, in our, in our belief, God gave us all from his intelligence, from his understanding. He gave it to us because he is the creator. He knows what's good for us. And so we didn't have to think about, well, what should I do in this circumstance? It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus. It's in the first five books. They're all written there for us so that we know what to do under certain circumstances, at least until Jesus Christ would come and show us finally how it's done. But the law was given to the Israelites so that they could have a long, peaceful, happy, powerful, wonderful life in God. But here he tells them, don't fall for that baloney that you're going to see in those lands where you're going to dispossess those pagans. Don't fall for that. At the beginning of this message, the scripture from 1 John shows us that he was admonishing the people not to sin. Don't sin. It had not been that long since Jesus had walked on the earth among men and already other doctrines were threatening to bring unholiness into the Christian communities. The apostles and other Christian leaders, including Paul and the apostles that he was, the, the disciples rather, that he was teaching, were busy putting out fires of erroneous doctrines. They were already busy at that time, thousands of years ago. How about today? What are we facing in the church today if it isn't the same thing? New Age teaching has been insidiously creeping into teachings that are supposedly according to the Word of God, but under careful scrutiny are revealed as untrue. Doctrines that change the context of the Bible result in new sects that fundamentally want to change God's word. That's what is happening today. Well, that's basically what was going on then too. Only it was so new at that time. Jesus hadn't been gone that long, and here they are already battling against the forces of evil who were basically trying to change what Jesus Christ had taught them not too long ago. They were already attempting to change the word. The scripture in Deuteronomy that we just read clearly warned the people not to try to follow the religions of the people they were dispossessing in Canaan, lest they fall prey to those abominable doctrines. And over and over we see when kings arose in, in uh, Israel that were not following the Lord, that's exactly what happened. 
They built the high places for incense burning and for worshiping all of their other gods. And what followed those events? Punishment, judgment, correction from God. People today who find the Bible, which is God's true word, too difficult to adhere to, want to dilute the word to fit their agendas. To fit their agenda. That's too hard to that's too hard to live that way. Let's see, how else how else could we present this so that people aren't scared, so that people won't leave for some other place that's not teaching that hard? What could we change? How could we word something? Let's, let's change it. Those things basically basically change the context of what they're changing. Otherwise, they can just give it the way it's written. That's the way it was meant to be. Just teach it out of the Bible. That's God's word. That's God talking to us. Just read it out of the Bible. That's his word. That's how we will be blessed. Deuteronomy 12:32 says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. What did we say earlier about repetition? This is about the third, this is about the third reference to don't add or take away from the Word of God. The Word of God bears repeating just the way it is, okay? Not changed. Just the way it is. Do not add to it. Do not take from it. Just the way I'm giving it to you is the way you have to do it. Now, what if we, what if, say, there is a mechanic here, and he had learned by reading a book on mechanics, on how to fix a car, but somebody comes along and says, hey, you don't have to go through all of that. You can short, short the distance, right? Just skip that part and, and just come over here and... and Touch it up and put a rubber band or on a stick or something, and, and it'll work fine. Well, it might work for a little while and then blows up on you, and what do you do? Who do you blame? And what good is blame then when it's already happened? Well, that's what happens when somebody comes in with a doctrine that is not according to the Bible. You stay, you get amazed, your eyes open wide, and you say, that sounds really neat. I don't have to spend an hour working on this. I can do it in 10 minutes. Okay, then go ahead and do it. But there's a consequence to doing that. There's going to be a price to pay for short cuts. There's going to be a price. Are you ready to pay it? Is it worth paying that price? Everything they had seen Jesus do and everything that Jesus had taught them finally made sense when. There are things about John that we must remember he went through on his way to receiving the revelation of Jesus. John was a member of the inner circle of the disciples of Jesus. And as such, he saw and heard most of what Jesus said and did. Imagine the impact this would have on him after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit had come down upon those who waited in the upper room.
everything they had seen Jesus do and everything Jesus had taught them finally came to fruition. It made sense to them. Their obedience to wait in the upper room was the final exam of the school of Christianity they all attended. Don't you see, they had received their training by being with the Lord everywhere that he went, by hearing every word that he uttered, by seeing all the miracles that he performed, by receiving the teachings that he gave them. This was their classroom. This was the classroom they attended. Just as today, we have people that become assistants to their professors. They are, you know, teachers, uh, uh, administrators, assistants. They help them out. They, they put the papers together. But they hear more also from those professors. And they get to gain a little more of the intelligence, of the learning, of the teaching that this man or woman can give them. Because they have a closer association with them. They're working with them every day. They're around them more often. That's what was happening with the disciples. Their schooling was obtained by being there all the time with the teacher. And that's what he was called at times. The teacher, the master, the Lord. He taught them. The inner circle, was, he was one of the members... And they developed this closer relationship with the Lord. Let us read about one of these special lessons at which John had been present as shown in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 7. And this is an important one. He says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Okay, so there's the four people. Jesus is taking three of his disciples from the inner circle of his disciples. And he was transfigured before them, right there in full view of them. He was transfigured. Now just put yourself in the same place. Here's your leader, and all of a sudden, he's changed right before your eyes. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. I skipped the verse. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. His face shone as the sun. There was a brightness that came upon Jesus. And his clothes were bright also as the light. Is this something that happens every day? Is this just a commonplace occurrence? Or would that have amazed us if we had been witnesses to that? It doesn't appear to have affected them too much. Maybe they weren't even paying attention. But right before their eyes, he's transfigured. And now Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. And he's talking with these two figures when Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. 
Isn't it? Imagine if we weren't here to witness this. Isn't this great that we are here? Remember, it says up here at the beginning, he took them with him. He called them to, hey, come on, let's go someplace. We're going up by ourselves. It wasn't that they were worthy of being there. It's that Jesus wanted them to witness something, and he took them up there, and they saw this. And now they're starting to feel rather important that they were able to witness this. Hey, we're here for something special. Look at this. What do they tell Jesus? Then Peter answered and said, Lord, it is good for, you, for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Isn't that a great idea? It's a good thing you brought us. Because I don't hear you coming up with that idea of building three tabernacles. Can we do that? Do you want us to do that? While he was still speaking and babbling on all of this stuff, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, Hear him. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Now they were amazed. Now they were struck by the sudden appearance of the new Jesus, of Moses, of Elijah. Now it made something of sense to them, but they didn't really understand it. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew it was special. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, arise, and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The scene had changed. The others had disappeared. The cloud was not there. It was just them again, with the Lord. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. You keep this to yourselves. Don't tell anyone what you have seen here until I'm gone. Don't tell anyone that this happened. This was for you only to witness. Now imagine. Imagine what they saw. Just imagine what they saw. Elijah and Moses appearing there, talking to Jesus Christ in a transfigured body. In a transfigured body. Nothing like what they had seen on this earth it was completely different, and it was Jesus that was transfigured. And yet, they had come off with this arrogance of, shouldn't we do something, Lord? Shouldn't we build something? I mean, what are we here for, just to see this? This isn't important enough, like those that say, well, that's not enough word that God is love. Okay, so God is love. So what? Well, so God is love, and he loves you, and you're not even worthy of it. And it's not because of what you do, it's because of what he feels about you. He loves you. That's a big message. God is love. 
It's a huge message if we just listen to it. If we let God expand it in our hearts, it's a big message. But many receive that as, that's simplistic. That's a little nothing. What is that? So now, although John was not the one speaking, it was Peter, and bringing, uh, he was not bringing what I consider a reprimand upon themselves. He was nevertheless a participant because there's nothing in the Bible that says that he cautioned Peter about his speaking at all at such a fantastic moment. It doesn't say that he told Peter, hey, you know, keep it, keep it cool, guy. Chill. Don't do that. Listen. It's Christ. Look who he's talking to. And listen to that voice. What's it saying? Here was Jesus in a transfigured body accompanied by Moses and Elijah. And Peter, John, and James are witnesses. How could you react to this scene? Put ourselves in their place. How would we react to such a scene? Just think about it. You know, we've never even... We've never even seen a miracle, or at least we don't remember seeing a miracle, or we don't think we've seen a miracle, even though we probably have. We just haven't realized that it was a miracle. But here they saw miracles all the time. They saw Christ throwing out, getting these demons out of sick people, healing limbs that, that had been deformed from birth, giving sight to the blind. Here was Christ transfigured, talking to two figures that had been dead a long time in transfigured bodies probably, and they hadn't understood that initially. How would you react? Would you feel that you were deserving of such an honor as to be witnesses to this? And furthermore, that Jesus would not need any of us to help him at this time. Do we, would we understand that? He doesn't need us to help him build the tabernacle. What does he need the tabernacle for? He's already there as a transfigured, as a celestial probably body. What does he need a tabernacle for? And that was the first thing that came to their mind. Let's build something we can think of. Not what you can think of, or not what you can create, or not what you know is necessary. No, it's what they could think of. Let's build a tabernacle. When God spoke to shut them up, because I believe that is what was taking place, when he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. I feel God was in essence saying, pay attention to what is going on. What does this have to do with you? Or what do you have to do with this? Pay attention to what's going on. Finally, the disciples reacted the way they should have from the beginning. They fell on their faces terrified when they heard the voice of God in the clouds. So don't you think John remembered all these things in his old age and smiled at the the thought of how dumb and impetuous they had been at times until the Holy Spirit fell upon them and brought everything together. Well, we're going to, be, we're going to pick up here next week 
because this is a two-part series on 1 John. We haven't even gotten to 1 John except the first little paragraph. I'm just trying to establish who John was and why he was there.